how you're always there for us. And we thank you for your faithfulness. And Lord, we call out to you now even, Lord, right now that you would be faithful, God, that you would speak to us, Lord, through your word. God, that you would use your word in a mighty way to change us deep within, Lord. God, I pray that the truths that we learn today would transform us, God. That it would, it would really affect us for the, our lives, God, from here on, Lord. So speak to us. May your spirit just speak to us, Lord. And may your spirit anoint this time. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. <clears throat> I came across this article titled this way. Just looking at food on Instagram could make you gain weight. How do you like that? Uh, the article went on to talk about while you might think looking at del delicious food is pretty harmless, a new study in the Journal of Brain and Cognition says that's wrong. This is what they said. Regular exposure to virtual foods nowadays and an array of neural, physiological, and behavior responses linked to it might be exasperating our physiological hunger way too often. In other words, what they're saying is spending too much time scrolling through, say, a food-heavy Instagram feed puts thoughts of food in your mind. And then that encourages you to go and feast regardless if you're hungry or not. Makes sense, right? They say just looking at food can entice our minds and make us salivate, increasing insulin levels, and in turn make us think we are hungry. So there you have it. Instagram can actually contribute to your weight gain. Proven. Watch out. Don't go on Instagram that much. Well, that should make us all think, though, if certain thoughts can produce hunger pains, think what what it can do with those things that goes through our mind that stimulate other appetites. In other words, our thought life fuels many other drives, passions, desires, and even perspectives that can lead to other actions. So what you allow in your mind can be the difference in living for Jesus or living out the flesh. That's the idea I'm throwing out here. Proverbs 23.7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. The old preacher Vance Havner once said, Our defeat or victory begins with what we think. And if we guard our thoughts, we shall not have much trouble anywhere else along the line. I think that's so true. Well, as we return to our study through the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul points to where the real struggle lays, and that is the battle for the mind. And that's the title of our message this morning, the battle for the mind. We're going to be studying 2 Corinthians chapter 10 from verse 1 through 6. Last time we were in Corinthians, uh, we finished up chapter 9, 8 and 9 about giving, and now we cross over here to chapter 10, and it's all about the battle for the mind in this first part. Now, this is our outline. Number one, the different approach. Number two, the different weapons. And number three, the different strategy. So Paul introduces these three things, and I'll give it to you as we go. But let's begin here. The battle for the mind, and first Paul introduces, number one, the different approach. The different approach. Take a look with me here now. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. It reads here, 
Now, I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Now, stop right there. We'll pause right here in our first part. We begin here with this word now, which Paul uses to change gears and address really those who are still listening to the false thinking, the false doctrine of the false teachers. And that's what we're crossing over into. He says this, like, look, this is me. This is I, Paul, myself. I'm pleading. I'm crying out to you from my heart to, to come to you in, you know what, he says here, meekness. Now, take a look at this word meekness. Meekness is defined as a patient, humble attitude, even when treated wrongly or unfairly. We've heard it said meekness is not weakness, but strength under control, which means it doesn't retaliate. It doesn't take vengeance when wrong. So here's Paul. The idea here is Paul, Paul's approach to these problem people was in a different way. He came with this spirit of meekness. One commentator said, Proutus, which is the Greek word for meekness, marks those who are free of anger, hatred, bitterness, and desire for revenge. I like that. That gives us a, a, a better grasp of what meekness is. And not only does Paul approach things in meekness, he comes here and he says, uh, with you by the meekness and gentleness. He comes with gentleness, which is another word really meaning kindness. And then think about this. When someone in authority, like the Apostle Paul, approaches in this way in kindness, in gentleness, it means leniency. That's the idea. That Paul, is great, Paul graciously refused to like push what he rightfully, legally can do as an apostle before the Lord. So Paul's approach here to the problem people is different. He also came with a spirit of gentleness. Now understand this. As we come into these last four chapters of 2 Corinthians, Paul confronts the issue of these false teachers, how they come in attacking Paul, infiltrating the church. And remember, I mentioned how they attacked his integrity. They attacked his character. They attacked his motive. And, and many in the church of Corinth there, in the city of Corinth, they've they, they been following that, but many have seen through the deception, but there's still those fooled into believing those lies. So Paul's coming into this. He's saying, not like how they are. He's not like coming in all heavy, coming out like them, ugly accusations, uh, revengeful, kind of all that angry kind of thing. Not like how the false teachers came in their forcefulness. But Paul's approach here was different. He came with this meekness, this gentleness. Paul's approach really was different. And why was that? Well, we see here in verse 1. He says, I'm pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of what? Christ. Paul's approach was like Jesus in the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Paul's approach is different from the world, different the way people carry themselves, but it was just like what his Lord and Savior did. You know, I think about that. You remember when Jesus told the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8, Woman, where are your accusers? Has anyone condemned you? And the woman said, no one, Lord. And what did Jesus say to her? 
neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. All right, think about, how about Jesus when he was hanging on the cross in Luke 23, 34, and he prayed for the people and those who were causing all this pain for him. You know what he said on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. You see Christ's heart? You see his meekness? You see his gentleness coming into this? I mean, remember when he was arrested in a garden, he could have called out to the 12 legions of angels and just said, hey, that's it. Being the son of God, he could be on the cross and say, I'm over this. You know, this is done. And come down and say, that's it. Everyone gone, right? But he didn't do that in the plan of God in our salvation. Earlier, Jesus showed mercy by saying this in Matthew 12, 20. A battered reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out. So think about Paul now, these accusers, these false teachers, even some in the church following after them. Think of how he feels. What was his approach? Meekness and gentleness. And then Paul goes on here, look at verse 1. At the end, he says, Who in presence... Am lowly among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beg you that when I am present, I am not, um, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. All right, Paul goes on here and he says, "Who in presence am lowly?" Here in verse one. In other words, some guys are saying, "Hey, when I'm with you, you know what, Paul." You're lowly. Paul says, you know, some guy's saying, I'm lowly or timid. And then when I'm absent, when I'm not with you, you say, I'm bold, like I'm super straightforward in that way. Well, here's the idea. The false teachers were accusing Paul of being weak when he's there with the Corinthians. And then, then when he's away in his writings, they misread Paul. And they misread Paul's weaknesses like being a coward. And look, he writes in this bold way. But Paul says in verse 2, look, I'm begging you now in this letter, you guys repent now. Because when I am present, so when I do come, that I don't have to be bold with you. That I don't have to be super strong in exhortation upon you. Which he says, basically, I intend to be bold against some. He's already planning to speaking to some. Those who accuse him continually and they're not listening to Paul's heart. They're not seeing the truth here. He's, he's, he's going to come to them and be bold, be strong. But he's saying some, they actually think that we walked according to the flesh. In other words, that we do this according to the worldly methods or carnal motives, operating on the flesh or in sin. In other words, Paul's like, don't take my meekness the wrong way. Look, if you want bold, I'll bring bold when I come. Later we'll see in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2, that he says this, I have already warned those who had been sinning when I was there on my second visit. Now again, warn them and all others, just as I did before, that next time I will not spare them. So Paul, he can be pretty straight. Paul, he can be pretty bold. But right now he's being coming in that meekness, and gentleness. So what is he saying here? Well, this is our point. Paul's approach is not what the false teachers say. So don't mistake the meekness for 
weakness. That's the basic thing he's saying. Paul's approach is not what the false teachers say, so don't mistake the meekness for weakness. You know, I was thinking about how this power under control, and, and, and I, many times in the Greek, actually, the word meekness was used for a horse that was broken. Last year, we were out at Camp Agape on the big island helping out, and one of the activities they had was the, uh, the kids would ride horses, and, and they asked my wife and I to, to lead some of the horses all around this trail. And my wife eagerly helped, but I'll tell you, for me, I said, no way. No way. I don't know. I just have a hard time with an animal that is way bigger than me and more powerful than me. Okay, I have horse phobia. All right. Sorry. But it's just something, you know. Even though they say, hey, the horse is trained. They're, they're older horses, you know. They, they've been broken. They're no longer wild. I'm like, ah, no, I'll, I'll do something else, you know, kind of thing. Sorry, I'm not. Maybe some of you guys are horse people, but I'm not. I just think this animal that's bigger than you, I'm like, whoa, I'm going to stay away from that. But Really, that's the idea in the Greek, right? That meekness was, was used for a horse that was broken. Power under control. And so Paul, in his method with dealing with some of these problem people, the false teachers, was really with this patient, humble attitude. He did not lash out here. He did not rashly operate in the flesh. No, his approach is not what the false teachers were even accusing him of. Paul's saying, hey, don't mistake the meekness for weakness. How's that going on in your life? How is meekness going? It's, it's an attribute. It's a character that we should have in our life. How is that godly character and meekness doing in your life? Remember, the meek person doesn't push yourself. Do you? The meek person doesn't seek their own glory. Do you? The meek person does not give into anger. Do you easily do that? The meek person does not lash out rashly. Do you do that? The meek person finds this fruit of the Spirit growing more and more as you grow closer to Jesus Christ. Where are you in all this? You know, perhaps I was thinking about this. I mean, um, uh, Fabe, you know, who was with us last Sunday and at our marriage retreat, he was sharing how, you know, when he grew up, he was taught to, hey, punch back yeah he he was taught that and he grew up that way you know but is that really of the lord but sometimes we have that tendency tendency of yeah lash back out or yeah i'm gonna retaliate right away or maybe some of you guys have been raised to hey i'm don't be quiet on things speak speak your mind here you know just let it out let them know be truthful but is that really the type of meekness that God wants us to have? To just blurt out things. Some say, oh, well, to be quiet, to, to, to not say anything, well, that's a sign of weakness. But Paul here is presenting us what his approach is. It's meekness. It's power under control. It's not operating in the flesh. It's actually controlling the flesh. That's that power under control control and let me go a little farther listen as god works this in our hearts and i'm talking to myself too you know it's not just oh i i I can hold that anger inside of me yeah i i can i can control that so it won't come out it won't come out in my words and it won't come out in action but i'll tell you that's not meekness that's your 
that, that's you holding on. And yeah, it's great. You're right at that place and that growth in your life. But you know what? Meekness is not even allowing that anger to be inside of you. That's meekness. Wearsby said, courageous endurance without meekness could make a person a tyrant. I like that. We need that meekness deep in our heart and that gentleness too. So let's learn what it really means to have meekness and greatness. Let's come with the different approach, just like what Paul is doing here. Well, let's move on here to number two, the different weapons, the different weapons. As we see the battle for the mind, Paul introduces the different approach, number one. Now we come to number two, the different weapons, the different weapons. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 now. Paul writes, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Now, when Paul says, for though we walk in the flesh, he's not saying, hey, I'm operating in a sinful flesh. I'm operating in an old man. He's not talking about that kind of flesh. He's actually doing a play on words. He says, really what he's saying is, yeah, though I am flesh and blood, though I am human, he's talking about that way. He's saying, though I'm a human being and we, we walk as human beings, we are, we're flesh and blood here. And then he says, we do not war. The word war means to engage in battle. It really has this sense of we're, we're, we're involved as soldiers in this war, in this battle. He says, we do not war according to the flesh. In other words, I don't battle in this physical, kind of conventional way you would think. You know, this battle that we actually battle is not with swords or chariots, you know, not like the Roman army coming out. It's not against enemy nations or attackers. What is he talking about? What is he talking about? It's not countries and nations fighting. It's not, you know, shooting missiles and all that. No, it's not that. In context of this passage, Paul speaks about the arena of the mind, the battle for the mind. I mean, take a peek at verse 5. He says, the knowledge of God. He says, bringing every thought captive. This is in context what he's talking about. It's, this is the arena of conflict. Paul speaks about a different kind of war. war. It's the battle for the mind. J. Oswald Sanders wrote, The mind of man is the battleground on which every moral and spiritual battle is fought. Erwin Lutzer said, Every temptation comes to us via our thoughts. James, right, talks about that. Paul is saying, Hey, though we're like flesh and blood, we're human beings, the real battles we fight are not on that level at all. Then he goes, in verse, he goes on in verse 4, he says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. And we're going to stop right there. See, the weapons of this warfare we're in, the, the battle for the mind, that believers use are not carnal. What does he mean by that? He's saying they're not like the worldly way of fighting the carnal way of fighting in our minds. Paul does not operate the way the world does. He does not use carnal, fleshly, sinful 
methods. And what is that? Well, the carnal or worldly way is to be, what, overpowering, yeah? To manipulate, play mind games, to use human fleshly wisdom, to push pride, to push yourself, to make it be about you. That's what he's talking about. He's really describing what the false teachers are doing who attack Paul in a vicious, they push their their way, a vicious way. They're aggressive. They're hurtful. They're using words. They're, they're, they're trying to rally people on their side, you know, get numbers with them so, hey, we can get against Paul. It's the, they're saying things that are, are putting into the minds of the Corinthian believers that corrupt and that poison their minds about Paul. Paul's like, hey, look, I'm not like that. Paul says, no, I use different Weapons, not not the carnal weapons, but the weapons that are, he says here in verse 4, mighty in God. Mighty means what's capable. Mighty speaks of what's unequaled in power. And notice, too, this power is in God. It's not us. It's what God brings to the battle. Paul operates with God's weapons in this really spiritual battle for the mind. When we talk about spiritual warfare and all, of course, we, we think of Ephesians 6. And let me read to you what verse 10 through 12 says. Paul wrote over there, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil or the schemes of the devil. Verse 12 in Ephesians 6 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't war in the flesh here. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so we find here Paul saying a similar thing in our spiritual warfare, though here in 2 Corinthians he's focusing on the mind. But we find in Ephesians 6 that God's mighty weapons, they're his that we are to take as armor and to fight with. And he goes on in Ephesians 6 is that God's mighty weapons basically are his truth, his faith in this truth, in righteousness that we have in salvation and the word of God. So let me bring it all together in this this sense. And this is our point here. So then Paul is saying, in the battle for the mind, my weapons, Paul is saying, are not worldly kind of thoughts, but divine truths. That's what Paul is saying. In the battle for the mind, my weapons are not worldly thoughts or the way the world handles things, but divine truths. Right here in our mind. We can battle those things in our mind with God's truth. You know, I read that your brain is capable of recording 800 memories per second for 75 years without ever getting tired. Amazing. My problem is accessing those memories. (laughs) I was like, well, where is that? You know, right? (laughs) Also, they say when a ball is thrown to you, they say your mind makes seven or 732 million calculations just to catch the ball. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes my calculations are off, so I drop the ball. 
Psychologists say that 10,000 thoughts go through the human mind in one day. And that totals up to 3,500,000 thoughts in a year. The, the mind is amazing what the capacity that it has. But remember, what's in your mind will determine how you live. You see, that's how we battle for the mind. We put God's truth in it. Paul is saying, hey, my, my weapons aren't the worldly thoughts. I don't go in and, and handle things like that. No, it's divine truths. And those things affect how I live. I mean, Paul is addressing these Corinthian believers. They're saying, hey, God, Paul's saying, guard against what the false teachers are putting into your heads. What they're saying, the way they do things, trying to corrupt, trying to poison your mind, trying to make them like they are in all their falseness and, and carnal living. Is that what is happening to you? Someone saying things about someone else and you getting confused? Is that how God works? Is that how God operates? Is that his truth? Is that what's happening to you? As Paul is dealing with these problems with his false teachers and people in the Corinthian church are listening to them, is that how we handle things just the way they are? I was thinking of what Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, 31 through 32, and this is the NLT version. He wrote, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Do you understand? I read that because the false teachers are handling things the opposite way. That was their way of operating was opposite of that. It was carnal. It was worldly. They, they were throwing out these, these gossips, and they were slandering Paul. But Paul's like, hey, I'm going to speak the truth, but you know what? I'm not going to do what they do. I'm going to just speak God's truth. Watch out what you allow in your minds. We're going to be talking about that. The weapons that we use isn't the worldly way, but it's the truth. God, that's how we battle for our minds. And it's so important that the truth is in our mind because your thoughts lead you to who you become. A man named Frank Outlaw once wrote, Watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become character. Watch your character, they become destiny. Listen, Satan is out there to not only kill, steal, and destroy you, but destroy relationships, destroy the unity in the church. And, and one big way he does that is to come through the mind. So be careful what you allow to stay there. Be careful what you allow into your mind. Be careful what you use in your mind to handle things and problems. A mother was peeling vegetables for a salad when her daughter, who was home from college, casually mentioned she was going to see a very questionable movie. The mother suddenly picked up a handful of garbage, threw it into the salad. Mother, said the shock girl, you're putting garbage into the salad. I know, replied the mother, but I thought that if you were okay with garbage in your mind, 
you wouldn't mind a little in your stomach. <laughs> Different weapons we should use than maybe how you're used to or what the world uses. Put the truth into your minds. And we're going to get into that more here. Let's go on to number three. The different strategy. The different strategy. In this battle for the mind, Paul introduces number one, the different approach. Number two, the different weapons. And now number three, the different strategy. Take a look here now. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, the second part will go on. Paul now writes, for pulling down strongholds. Now in this section, the rest of our verses we're going to see this morning, Paul list the target that these weapons are used for. Paul, the false teachers want to put these into the minds of the people, but Paul says, no, we're going to do the opposite. We're going to come at this with a different strategy. And this is the strategy. Use the weapon of truth that he just was inferring to for number one here, pull down the strongholds. And this is what we see at the end of verse 4. Number one, pull down the strongholds. We're going to see five things, but first of all is this. Strongholds are basically fortresses set up in the mind. Now, don't, Paul's not talking about some demonic kind of stronghold that needs to be cast out. You guys know better than that, right? I've taught you better that a Christian cannot be demon-possessed, right? How can you have light and darkness or temples of the Holy Spirit? That's not what Paul's talking about. Here, strongholds are those fleshly and false thoughts that are ingrained in your mind. Here, Paul might be picturing, you know, he grew up in the land of uh, Cilicia, and over there, the Roman armies destroyed these fortresses on a rocky coast where pirates were holding up, where they used to hold up. And, and perhaps Paul was thinking of these strongholds, these fortresses where, where enemy combatants will hold up. So he's talking about these strongholds held up in our minds, fleshly and false thoughts that are ingrained into our minds. John Phillips even puts it, Satan builds his bulwarks or strongholds of pride, prejudice, and passion, and so, so on in human hearts. So it's like Satan looks for areas in life where he can establish a beachhead with some of these things, pride, prejudice, uh, bad desires, and then he can build a fortress there. And from there, he can attack. From there, he can control. From there, those fleshly things can become coming out into your life. For example, I was thinking about this. Perhaps in your life, your life maybe hasn't been that easy. Maybe you've gone through many tragedies and, and, and you, you, you have this in the back of your mind. I'm not blessed like other people I see. And you start th thinking, well, maybe God doesn't really love me, right? And you know what? The enemy establishes a beachhead in there with this false thought. We know God loves each and every person because his word tells us that's the truth. And then whenever another bad thing happens, you think, I know it. God doesn't love me. He doesn't really care for me. He doesn't bless me like a lot of other people. And there a fortress is made. And then in your mind is that fortress of thought that God doesn't love me. Maybe that thought of 
this fortress of God doesn't love me comes from someone carelessly says, you're no good. You're, you're worthless, maybe when you were growing up. Or perhaps someone said, to hurt you, said, you're ugly. And those scars go down deeply, and you have these feelings of rejection. That's like a stronghold established. But we believe in what the Word of God says, that Jesus does love you. And those strongholds need to be pulled down. Maybe maybe you've been hurt. Maybe a woman, you've been hurt by men along your lifetime. Maybe when we do premarital counseling, I always ask, hey, who is more dominant, your mother or your father? And maybe when you grow up, you kind of see these examples, and now you as a woman, as as a a, a wife, you know, you're a little more... Uh, yeah, I got to be like that. Or maybe you've been hurt, abused by boyfriends or men or something. So a stronghold has been set up. Now affecting your marriage, you have a hard time doing what the Bible says, submit to your husband. Maybe you're a husband and and you never understood what love really is, what agape love really is. Maybe the way you grew up, hey, your dad's love. Hey, you know what love is? I go to work and I take care of you and provide for you. That's love. Right, And so you got that in your mind. And if you don't deal with it, that can become a stronghold. Maybe, maybe you grew up with oh, your parents or, or your father or, or someone nearby, near to you was always like angry, you know, uncontrolled anger. And, and even after coming to Christ, yeah, you have the truth, yeah. And, and you, you say, well, I'm justified to be angered. Angry because it, I'm defending my principles. But is that of the flesh or the spirit? Sometimes we have these fleshly strongholds that fool us into thinking it's okay. But it's not. But let me tell you, the truth of God can pull down those strongholds. Pull them out no matter how deeply rooted it is. And so we must believe that the truth of God is more real and more powerful than those strongholds. That's what Paul is saying. These things that have been ingrained in our mind, we got to pull down the strongholds. Well, he goes on in verse 5, the second thing, casting down arguments. Number two is casting down arguments. Number one, pull down the strongholds, and now cast down the argument. Casting down, it means to take down and destroy. Arguments are those things that come against, and look at the rest of verse 5 where it says, the knowledge of God. It's thoughts that want to debate God and his truth. In other words, arguments are the thoughts that think they know more than God and know a better way than God. Think about this. Isn't this how Eve was tempted, right, when Satan came to her in Genesis 3? In Genesis 3, 1, it says, Did God, Satan came to Eve and said, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? In other words, he's like, Really? You think that's what he meant? Nah. Questioning God. Questioning what God had said. And then later Satan's like, Nah, you're not going to die. No, nah, that's not what's going to happen, right? 
he's bringing even to his, her thoughts of, oh, no, you know more. You know better. That, no, there's something. There's a better way. Cast down those arguments. These arguments are those things that we have set in our minds on something that is not really true. You know, it's like um, someone might say to me, hey, you know, you're like this, and this, this is what you were thinking. And I, I said, no, no, that, that's not really, honestly, sincerely, that's not what it was. But say, no, I know it. And I'm like, no, how do you know my mind? How do you know my heart? Right? Well, we do that to the Lord. Right? No, God, it's like this. No, God, I know better. No, God, this is what's happening. And we don't hear what the word is saying. We believe in our own logic. We believe in our own feelings more than the truth that is in the word of God. Paul is saying, cast down those arguments. Take them down. Destroy them. Then he goes on in verse 5. He says, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So number three, Paul is saying, cast down every high thing. It speaks of this carnal way of thinking. It's this worldly thinking that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, the truth about who God is and his word. They are the high things of this world, raised up as a barrier, a wall against the truth of God. What am I talking about? It's like worldly philosophies or human reasoning. Or related to what we just talked about. Our own deductions. Our personal perspectives. That we've come up with. And that are not God's. And we build this wall. A high wall. And you know what? This is really what the false teachers were about. Right? That's why they're out to get Paul. They were saying we, we possess the truth. The false teachers. They were saying no not Paul. He's wrong about this. Not Paul. But they forget Paul is the apostle of Jesus Christ, called by the Lord to speak the truth and write scripture. But they come against. The high things basically are what you pridefully think are greater than God's revealed truth. High things are what you pridefully think are greater than God's revealed truth. It's, It's that pride in you. That sets up these high things. In Genesis 11, remember the people built the Tower of Babel? Right? First of all, I mean, that whole thing that they built was disobeyed God. They, get, they, they stayed together rather than going out and, and <clears throat> into the earth. They built this monument, right, to their abilities, to their own glory, to give themselves glory. They built this high tower thinking they were greater than God. They thought they were above what God said. Look at what you're, what's in your mind. What you think about. Look at, the, look at what you see about God's truth. I mean, do you respect it? Do you honor it? The answer will really show what's in your mind. All right. So Paul approaches all this in this different strategy Uses, he, to use the weapon of truth is to, number one, pull down strongholds. Number two, cast down arguments. And number three, cast down every high thing. And then at the end of verse 5, he writes, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of 
Christ. So number four is to bring every thought into captivity. To bring every thought into captivity. So as you pull down the strongholds, as you cast down the arguments and high things, you now forcefully bring every one of these thoughts into captivity. Literally, in the original language, it means take it with a spear. It, it, it makes me think about like what Paul said in Ephesians 6.17 when he says, Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God, right? So we are to, by like sword point or gun point, make our thoughts come to the place of what? Obedience to Christ. Like at gunpoint. Like, hey, move, go, move, go, you know? Forcing these thoughts into this captivity. Picture this. I think Paul pictures this believer destroying the strongholds, throwing down the arguments, breaking down the high walls, and then marching that prideful, fleshly thought prisoners to the King and Lord Jesus in order that they would be subject to him. So here's the thing. The battle for the mind must be to bring every thought into full obedience to Jesus. Bring them into captivity, to the obedience of Christ. You take those thoughts and say, no, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to do what you're saying. I'm not going to feel what you want me to feel. No, I'm bringing you to the obedience of Christ, to what the truth is, what the word says. The battle for the mind must be to bring every thought into full obedience to Jesus. Someone said this, let the mind of the master be the master of the mind. I like that. You know, many times people ask me, you know, I, 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 I'm, I, I'm not sure. You know, I'm struggling here. I, I don't want to be fake. I want to be real. I'm struggling with these things. I, I, I don't want to just do it to do it. I don't want just to do it as a ritual. I don't want just to, okay, I'm vain. Sometimes we struggle, right? But, but let me help you with this. How, how do you bring these thoughts into captivity? First, you know what? First of all, this don't hide behind feelings, justifications, and excuses. Don't let assumptions or your pride keep that high wall up. Tear them down. Be, be brutally honest. That's how you tear the walls down. By being brutally honest, ask yourself, is this really godly? Or not? Is this really according to God's word or not? That's how you can tell. Second, recognize the strongholds you've, you've allowed. Whether it's pride, some fleshly thing. Maybe you're nursing hurt. Maybe you're allowing bitterness to take root. Maybe there's unforgiveness. <clears throat> but recognize this. You've allowed them to control you. Recognize that this is not the Holy Spirit in your life, but it's that sinful flesh operating. It's that sinful fleshly thoughts, those strongholds. And thirdly, make the choice now to not give yourself over to the flesh, but live out who you are in Christ. You know who you are? A new creation. You know who you are? You're that new person. The old man is dead, you guys. And we can live out this new life. Why? Because Christ died on the cross, rose again from the dead, and we have the power now to, 
live that resurrected life before the Lord. It's not something, oh, you make yourself do. It's something that is, has happened to you. You've been freed from the flesh. So the third thing really is to make the choice not to give yourself to those thoughts, not to give in to you. That's not you anymore. You're a new creation. You know, at the marriage retreat, I, I, um, in one morning before Faith and Mona taught, I tried to explain how, you know, God comes to us and works in these deep issues in our heart. And, whoa, in the marriage retreat, was working deep inside all of us here. We were, we were work, but... But it was it was so freeing. It was it was it was a miracle happening. It was it was so like like I'm like a new man. I tell my wife, <laughs> I'm a new man. But <clears throat> I try to explain what's happening is as we are confronted, and even here the, in those things in our mind, in those issues, in those thoughts that we have allowed in us, and we recognize it as our flesh as sin, as ourself, as not us. This is not the new creation. Then you know what happens? We find that we can make a choice not to allow those thoughts to be there, not to give in to those allows. And we find that we are free from the bondage of those things in Christ. Remember Romans 6 says? Romans 6 tells us that, that we're, 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 we're dead, right? We have died with Christ. Know that you're that you've died with Christ. And then Romans 6 tells us, reckon yourselves dead. In other words, you're an old person. And then, then Paul says in Romans 6 that we should now yield ourselves to no longer be slaves of unrighteousness, but to be slaves of righteousness. And you know what's that saying? We have a choice now in Jesus Christ. He has freed us from the bondage and chains of sin. And think about this with the thoughts the worldly way we approach things, the, the s- sinful desires and thoughts in our minds, the, <clears throat> those things, and maybe the, th- the strongholds that have been in your mind, Christ has freed you from that. You can take them down, and that is the mighty power of God working in your life. That, are, that is how we are to take captive these thoughts and put them in obedience to Jesus Christ. What a different strategy that is, right? All right, the last verse here. Paul writes here in 2 Corinthians 10, 6. He says, And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Number five here is be ready to seriously deal with rogue thoughts. Be ready to seriously deal with rogue thoughts. Paul finishes here with his intention that really what he's saying when he comes, you know what, he's ready to discipline, he's ready to punish, he's ready to deal seriously with anyone who is still following after the false teachers, who's still going against God's truth. He will be bold. He will come and he will deal with the problem. He'll seriously basically draw a line with those who are obedient and those who are disobedient. So Paul will discipline anyone who is still allowing these stray thoughts to reign in their minds. So for us today, we need to be serious and and deal with the rogue thoughts. We must not allow any stray thoughts that aren't of God, that aren't out of his truth, that aren't of, of who we are to remain in our minds no longer, you guys. 
No more. I read about a 48-year-old Chinese woman who had suffered headaches for practically her whole life, like 46 years. She'd been to the doctor many times in her lifetime, but finally, I don't know why they didn't think of this earlier, in 2015, a CAT scan revealed she had a 1.8-inch needle under her skull. Doctors don't know exactly how it got there, but they speculate that the needle penetrated the skull after her early, you know, after her birth and before her skull had hardened into shape. Everyone was amazed that a person could live so long with this needle sticking in her head. Unreal, right? We're thinking, well, how could you do that? I mean, why didn't the doctor see that? Why didn't they deal with that sooner? But it goes to say, how long have you been living with your Christian walk with these thoughts in your head? Think about that. I think what happens to us is it becomes every day. If we, what we've allowed, it becomes like, well, this, this is the way I think it is. And we accept that, but don't accept that anymore. Deal seriously with these things. Think about what these thoughts, what you have allowed, what they produce in your life. Are they godly things or are they fleshly things are they really of the spirit is it god's will that these the result and consequences of these thoughts don't let it become like oh well that, that's the way a christian is no don't be fooled get into the word of god find the truth and you will find that that, that what it really is and who you really are when it comes to what is in our mind and even in our heart, how do we know what is real, what is right, what, what is really not me, the real me? It's the Word. It's the Word of God. Listen to Hebrews 4.12. It says, For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. It's the Word that shows us and tells us what's real, what's right, What's what, what we should be doing. And we need to let the word of God filter those things in our thoughts and take down those strongholds, cast down those arguments, cast down those walls that we have built up. They need to come down. So are you really listening to what the word says? Check what is real or not, what is true or not. I'll close with this. It's a true story. It wasn't until 1974 that this Lieutenant Hiroo Onada of the Imperial Japanese Army surrendered to authorities. You see, during World War II, he had been ordered to stay and hold out on the, on the Lubang Island in the Philippines. But that was back in 1944 during World War II. And so for 29 years, he faithfully kept fighting, unaware that the war had ended. In his mind, the war kept, was going on. The police, authorities tried over and over to find him. He escaped them. He thought he was hiding from the enemy. They even used megaphones and speakers to tell him, hey, the war's over. Stop shooting at the local people there. But he kept going. It wasn't until his commanding officer from that time, somebody knew, came and ordered him to surrender that he stopped fighting. I think that's us sometimes. We fight a battle that's been over a long time ago. Yeah? yeah. We come against 
others that should have been over a long time ago and came to Christ and if we know the truth of God. But what happens, we allow those false thoughts, you know, like this lieutenant, to come in, to make a stronghold, justify our attacking others, when all along God has already made peace. Well, do you understand now? It's not so much what maybe someone's doing or what someone's done to you, but it's those strongholds and high walls that we have allowed. We've got to bring those things down in our minds with the truth in this, the battle for the mind. Let's pray. Lord God, how <clears throat> revealing, Lord, these things are. Lord, as we studied your word today, God, it's like we've had brain surgery in a sense. Lord, we looked into our own minds and seen the ugliness, God. We've seen the sin. We've seen our pride. We've seen our flesh. We've seen, God, how we've allowed strongholds in our minds, arguments, Lord, high places, high walls, things that have come against you. And, Lord, forgive us for that. God, help us to bring them down, Lord. Help, help us to take captive these thoughts that are not of you and bring them in obedience to Jesus Christ. For, Lord, we know what's in our mind will eventually come out in how we live. And we want to live in obedience to you. So, God, right now, each one of us, as we bow down before you in our hearts in humbleness, we confess our sins, Lord. We confess our failures. We confess our weaknesses. We confess our selfishness, Lord. How <clears throat> sometimes, Lord, we're not thinking about you. We're thinking about me. We're thinking about, oh, what, what's in it for me? We, we, we're, we're thinking about how, well, what I see, what I think, what I, my logic is better than, oh, what you're doing, Lord. And we confess those things, God. We confess how we allow our thoughts to control our feelings and our feelings then move upon us. Lord, we don't want that anymore. God, free us, Lord, as you have freed us from the bondage. As we make this choice to bring down these strongholds, God, I know your power that frees us, the resurrection power in our lives, Lord. No longer do we need to obey the voice of self and pride. No longer is the sinful flesh have control and the sinful thoughts. Lord, you rule and reign. And it's not just us trying to do our best. No, it's God, you working a miracle, freeing us, Lord, and giving us victory. I pray over each person right now, Lord, especially those who are struggling, Lord, in their thoughts, in their lives. Lord, you've brought people here for the first time, and God, you've been speaking, and Holy Spirit has been moving. I pray that as I ask you right now, that you would free them, that you, you would show them the new creation they are in Christ, that you would bring them to, Lord, to see the truth that makes us free, Lord. And we are free indeed. God, you have that power to do that right now. And I pray you do that upon all of us right now. Thank you, Lord. We exalt you. God, our problem <coughs> will not overcome us. Our mind won't overtake us, Lord. Because you are greater than us, our trials, our problems, or anybody who maybe 
hurting us, Lord. You are greater. And we look to you in trust and hope and strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. We'll close with one last song.